0: Today's message is lifted from Mark chapter number 9. And we'll see as the story unfolds that Jesus has this encounter with a man who says, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I believe that this morning, God is going to break limitations off our lives. If we will allow him so let me pray and we'll dive into the word. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I trust you for utterance. And Lord, we approach your word with reverence. And you will give us insight, insight into your word, not just for knowledge's sake, but that God, we will know the truth. And that the truth will set us free, set us free from every limitation in our thoughts, in our reasoning. In our physical ability, even for some who say, I just don't have the resources to do what you've called me to do. Father, today, I pray that supernaturally, as we look to your word, the limits, the limitations, the restrictions, the hindrances, the inhibitions, God, that have kept us from experiencing the abundant life that you have called us to will be broken off our lives. We trust you to do it. Your word declares it is the anointing of God that destroys the yoke, every yoke of bondage that has held your people back, Father. We pray that you will break this morning through the power of your word and the inner workings of the Holy Spirit beyond what I'm able to communicate, Father. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen and amen. Uh, Again, we are in a series on prayer. Uh, We've been taking you through our core values here at City Church, the DNA of City Church. We said we value the word of God. That means we are gospel shaped. We said we value authentic community. That means if people matter to God, people matter to us. And thirdly, thirdly, we began this series last week and we declared, we declared that we value prayer. Prayer is important to us because Jesus said prayer was important to him and to the Father. In fact, Jesus said that the house of God would be identified and marked by this discipline of prayer. Jesus said it this way, my house will be called a house of prayer. And so prayer is not optional for city church. Prayer is essential. Prayer is not our last resort. It is our first option. Mm. We value prayer. Last week we said First and foremost, we value prayer because the highest priority of prayer is intimacy with God. The reason we pray is not because of what's in God's hand. That is secondary. We pray primarily because of what's in God's heart. Let me show you what we forfeit when we don't pray. I shared this with the men yesterday in Fight Club, and if you're not coming to Fight Club, you're missing out. The last first two weeks have been absolutely phenomenal. The Jews had a saying, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. What that means is disciples walked in such close proximity to their rabbi, their teacher, that the dust from his sandals covered them. And how many of us are willing to walk that close to Jesus? If you were in at fight club, you missed out. Because yesterday I talked, we went back to Genesis chapter 1 and talked about how God's Original plan for man is his eternal plan for man. And what we see in the garden is this idea of intimacy with God, where Adam and Eve walked with God. Let me tell you what happens when we have an intimate relationship with Jesus. The second thing happens, and we discover our God identity. Women, let me tell you why you're struggling with your husband. Let me tell you why you're struggling with your husband. And let me tell you, men, why some of us are still boys playing childish games. Because Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, when I became a man, it denotes transition. It denotes maturity. It denotes someone who is growing up. He said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because a man is identified and revealed by the games he chooses to play. Manhood is not about adulthood. Manhood is not about chronology, and it is not about when you turn 18 or 21. Manhood is determined by the games you choose to play. And one of these days, I'm going to do this message that I did years ago at a singles event called Five Signs He's Still a Boy. When we're intimate with God, God reveals our God identity. The reason most of us play childish games as men Is because we're searching for identity. And the games we play cause us to chase women, cause us to chase a bigger house, cause us to chase a bigger car, cause us to chase more money because our identity is wrapped up in the games we play because somehow the games we play speak back to us that we're worth something yet our sense of identity and self-worth should originate in God before Jesus ever performed his first miracle he heard his father from heaven affirm him before Jesus launched out into public ministry before he performed his first miracle his father from heaven affirmed him and said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and we got a whole lot of men doing stuff who have never been affirmed and they don't know that our identity in God, and so they look for it in the wrong places. We forfeit knowing who we are and what we were created to do and who we're created to accomplish because we're not intimate with the Father. Jesus was intimate with the Father, and the Father spoke over him even before he did anything, performed one miracle. Notice Jesus' identity was not performance-based. Jesus didn't say this is my beloved son at the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus said this is my beloved son before he started his ministry. And how many of us play childish games, men? Because we think our affirmation is about our performance. And so we got a whole lot of men running around playing childish games who don't know their identity. That's the second thing. <laughs> I mean the third thing. the Intimacy with God will help us understand our identity in him. And once we know our identity in him, the third thing happens, we experience integrity. Let me tell you what that word integrity means. That word integrity is derived, in fact, all our math students know the word integer, no? An integer is simply a whole number. Integrity simply means someone who is whole. Not broken, not deficient, lacking no good thing. Let me tell you what happens when we spend time in the presence of God. We come out understanding and knowing our identity. That's why Jesus wasn't moved whether people praised him or criticized him. Because he had the Father's affirmation. And if we allow the praises of men to inflate us, their criticism will deflate and kill us. And that's how most of us go through life. I'm on top of the mountain when, I'm, when life is good and everybody's praising me and I lose my mind. Just with one word of criticism. I don't know my identity. I think my identity is based in my performance. And therefore, I am not whole. Now, let me tell you the fourth thing that happens if I experience intimacy with God And uh, I know my identity in God, and I'm whole. I have integrity, wholeness, soundness. In fact, the Hebrew word is shalom, shalom. It means more than peace. That word shalom means it was a blessing that they spoke over each other. Shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking. The fourth thing that happens out of a life of integrity is then I have influence. I can begin to positively impact others. Now, why did I say all of that? I don't even remember. Yeah, but before Fight Club. Okay. I was talking about prayer. Oh, yes, I was talking about prayer. That's what it was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So last week, we said, this is why prayer is critical. Notice the ripple effect. If I'm not intimate with God, I don't know my identity. If I don't know my identity, I'm not whole. If I'm not whole, I can't influence others for good to the degree that God wants me to influence others. That's what we forfeit in prayer. It's not about what's in God's hand. It's about discovering God's heart for what he desires to do in me first and then through me. Everything that God does in the earth, he does in partnership with man. I want you to hear that. Everything that God desires to do in the earth, he desires to do in partnership with you. And he desires to do it in partnership through you. Prayer simply postures us so that we align ourselves with God's purpose. So when God desires to do something right here in Plano, he says, I'll do it through city church. Mm, okay. Well, think about that some more. So, so Jesus, Jesus uh, is teaching his disciples how, how to pray, and we're in Luke chapter 11. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. I know I ma- mentioned uh, Mark 9, but Luke chapter 11... And then I'm going to go fast and furious. Uh, This is one of our anchor texts for this series. We value prayer. We value prayer. That means we value intimacy with God. We value intimacy with God. Uh, uh, Luke 11, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. Good news, uh, if you don't know how to pray, you can be taught. You can learn how to pray just as Jesus taught his disciples to pray and just as John taught his disciples to pray. Jesus gives us this model prayer. It's the framework for how to pray effectively. Uh, essentially what Jesus was teaching us, it he was teaching uh, us through his disciples, well guys, when you see me steal away into that solitary place, this is what I do. And when I come out of that secret solitary place, I walk in power. If you want to walk in the power, in fact, this disciples saw the correlation. Jesus goes into this solitary place. He comes out and he does miracles. He goes away and people are spitting on him and he turns the other cheek. He goes into this secret place and he has such tremendous wisdom that he has an answer for every question that people throw at him. It only comes from intimacy with God. And the power of this thing is that it's available to each of us. That's why I love the story and the testimony of Enoch so much. It says that before Enoch was translated, he had this testimony. That you look at your life and they look at my life. Is that their takeaway? Ray Harmon walks with God. Come on, somebody. That's a beautiful place to live. So Jesus says, this is how I get down. This is how I roll. Is that the God we identify with is only good. All his thoughts toward me are only thoughts of good. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 says, I know the thoughts I have toward you, declares the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. I want you to hear that this morning, City Church, that our God, our heavenly Father, has good thoughts toward us to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future and expected end. Our God is only good. And if we understand that how I see God determines how I approach God, it'll change the way we pray. Because our God is only good. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God reveals his character in his names. And over the process of this series, we'll talk about the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. On and on again. Because God has revealed his character and his nature and his attributes in his names. Jesus says, when I pray, I remind myself not only of my relationship with my father, but I remind myself of his character. Who he is. Who he is. Who he is. And if we don't remind ourselves of who God is, we will buy into a warped depiction of our God, that he's a God of judgment and wrath. In fact, we will buy in to the example of fatherhood that we learned from our earthly fathers who were very imperfect. We have to revisit that often in prayer, in intimacy with God, that God loves me. His banner over me is love. He loves me with an everlasting love. You know what the Israelites went into battle? This is what they went into battle saying, for the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Can you imagine a whole army surrounding you and the thing that they went into battle with was a song declaring how good God is? I wonder how many of us would win life's battles if we just went back to reminding ourselves just of the goodness of God. That our God does not change with our circumstances. When life is good, God is good. When life is bad, mm, maybe God's not so good after all. No, 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 no. When life is painful, when life is hard, God is still good. He's still good. When things don't go my way, my God, the God that I know is still good because all his ways are perfect. Even when I don't understand it, even when his it, life doesn't go the way I planned it or scripted it, even when my son is born with no arms, my God is still good. He's still good. He is still good because my strength is... Is determined by the things that are allowed to stop me. How do you get through your day? What shuts you down? What keeps you in bed and keeps you from getting out of bed? How do you get through your day? We saw how Richie does it. He shakes off the limitations. He shakes off the limitations. Limitations that are self-imposed and limitations that are imposed by others because he serves a big, big God. He serves a big, big God. Notice the third thing Jesus prayed. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a bold and audacious prayer because what Jesus is saying He's saying, your kingdom, what you desire, what you have planned and purposed long before I was even born, long before I was even created, your ideas, your plans, and your purposes, use me and fulfill them through me. That's a big prayer. That's a big prayer. Your kingdom come, your will. (laughs) Can I stop there for a second? and say that is a pretty crazy prayer to pray. To posture myself to surrender to God's will, not what I want, but what God wills. Because it doesn't always turn out. Being in the middle of God's will doesn't always look like the way I scripted it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the very Son of God in whom the Father was well pleased, prayed this prayer to the point of agonizing with blood pouring out of his pores, said, if there's another way, Father, if there's some way to get around surrendering to your will, that's what I want. The thought of being nailed to a cross is too much to bear. If there's some other way to get around the pain that is just ahead of me, if there's a plan B, that's what I want. That's what I want to have now. Nevertheless, nevertheless, your kingdom come. Oh, God, your will be done. Even when it's painful, even when it feels like I'm, Uh, I'm that olive in the olive press because that's what Gethsemane was. It was the place where they made olive oil. It was the place where olives were pressed so that pure virgin olive oil would come out. There's something in that metaphor. Jesus goes into the place of pressing. Jesus goes into the place of breaking so that out of him would flow salvation to all men. The will of God required the breaking of his son. Most of us want the will of God. This is what we want. We just want a new job. We just want a promotion. But what if the on the other side or, or, or the way to everything God has planned for me means that for a season, he's going to break me and crush me. This is his own son. I remember doing a funeral one time, and this family You saying, I can't believe God, let my son die. I feel your pain. When I sat there across from the family, I said, God knows what it's like to lose a son. I said, what do you mean? He gave his only begotten son for us. So when we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. God doesn't take us from point A to point B on a straight course. Oh, he'll get you to point B. He will get you to point B. He will get you there. But there are moments in his will where, like Joseph, he takes you from your father's house and your brothers throw you in the pit. Isn't that what he showed Joseph at the very beginning? Gave him a dream of greatness? At 17, 18 years old, Joseph wouldn't have thought that his own brothers, in order to get to Egypt, that God would say, in order to get to Egypt, Joseph, your own brother's going to sell you into slavery. But it's part of my plan. In fact, that's how I'm going to get you from your father's house to Egypt. Your own brothers, your own kin, people you love, they're going to sell you. In fact, they're going to try to kill you. But I will intervene. And they're going to sell you into slavery. uh Oh, check this out. While you're in slavery, uh, you'll be falsely accused of sexual harassment. You didn't do it. You tried to honor your boss's wife. Oh, yeah. And not only are you going to spend some time in prison for something you didn't do, but it's all a part of my plan. It's all a part of my plan. Your kingdom come, your will be done is not a wimpy prayer. And one of the prayers my wife and I pray for City Church is, God, don't help us not to develop wimpy Christians. I want us to be a part of raising up Christ followers who understand what it means, not what I want, but what you want, and do it through me, even when it hurts even when it hurts. Oh, oh so, so, so um, all of that was the introduction to my sermon. Um, y'all think I played, right? <laughs> Heather's like, no, he ain't playing. No, give me two more minutes. Dude, give me a couple more minutes. Because notice, let's fast forward. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Fast forward to verse 5. Fast forward to verse 5. Jesus is still teaching on prayer. These are still the words in red. And one of the principles that he's about to teach about prayer is the principle of persistence in prayer. <laughs> I love it when people say, well, Pastor Ray, I prayed about it one time, and it didn't happen, so God doesn't love me. No, Jesus taught. When he's teaching, his, the very first prayer lesson that Jesus gave him after he gave them the model prayer, is he taught them the principle of persistence when we pray. I prayed about it. How long? Okay. All right. We probably don't like that one too much, but uh, it's in the Bible. Take it up with Jesus. Jesus. No, I promise you I'm about to wrap up. (laughs) Uh, The scripture says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, man, don't trouble me, mate. I'm sleeping. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give it to you. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, notice he talks about the persistence, and then it continues sort of with this conjunction, and he says, so as a result of, in view of the foregoing, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Here's my favorite verse. Not my favorite verse in the whole Bible, but one of my favorite verses on prayer. Notice what he says. For everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who asks, receives. If he's persistent. Okay. Now, (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me tell you why persistence matters. Let me tell you why persistence matters in prayer. Mm? Persistence matters in prayer. (laughs) I want you to catch this, City Church. Persistence in prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance. It is about outlasting the enemy's resistance. I will say it again. Persistence in prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. We don't persist in prayer because somehow the longer we pray, we're going to convince God. We persist in prayer because persisting in prayer positions us to outlast the enemy's resistance. I wish I had some shouters in this Presbyterian church. How many of you realize that we have a very real and literal adversary called the devil. No, I'm talking to a modern church, right, so we don't believe that there's such a thing as a devil. Let me tell you what, persistence in prayer. I'm not begging God to do anything. He's already done it all. The persistence is about pressing through the resistance of the enemy. I'm about to call an audible. Can you put Daniel chapter 10 on the screen? Kelly, you might have to help her with it. Everybody say, hi, Kimberly. Kimberly. Kimberly is in training today. and Yeah, somebody say, girl, you in trouble, Pastor Ray. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, three verses, 12, 13, 14. Do we have it? Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Let me tell you something. Why they're putting that up there? Let me tell you something about our adversary. Jesus, in describing our adversary, said he comes only. Only. He has one intention, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Anything that God loves, including you. The problems and the holdup is not with God. There is a very real enemy that has come to steal, to kill and destroy. Let me tell you his strategy. He comes to steal your joy. Let me tell you why that's important. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is your strength. If the enemy can distract you long enough with trouble, adversity, and affliction, he will sap you of your strength. So Wendy and I, in counseling, we always gauge the health of a marriage by how much laughter there is. Because once husbands and wives stop laughing, it's soon replaced by silence. Someone withdraws and retreats or is replaced by shouting. Enemy comes to steal your joy. He also comes to kill your dreams. Here's the third one critically important. He comes to destroy your credibility. Let me tell you why that's critical. Because it's the way of the enemy to destroy you while you're still living. While you still got breath in your lungs and nobody got an ounce of respect for you because your reputation is tarnished and you're a dead man walking. Don't play... (laughs) Oh Lord... I almost went my African route. Do not play with the devil. Oh. The devil is not a joke. I am telling you, the devil is not a joke. Oh. Do not play with the devil. Because if you let the devil in the back seat, pretty soon he will want to drive. Did y'all get that? Let him in the back seat. That's what we do though. I got this under control in the back seat. And it's amazing how he works his way to the passenger seat. And all of a sudden, before you know it. Now, how did I get on that? All of our guests, please, please bear with me. Oh, we're waiting for Daniel 10, chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. What do we say about persistence in prayer? It's not about overcoming God's reluctance. It's about outlasting the enemy's resistance. Verse 12, so this is Daniel, he's been praying 21 days. Notice this, Daniel has been praying 21 days, no answer until the 21st day. Now, I don't know, if, if I'm Daniel, I'm thinking that God's withholding something from me. I'm thinking God's reluctant because Daniel is fasting and praying. He's in a posture of prayer. In fact, if you go, if you go back, This is what he says. He said he ate nothing, he didn't shave, and he did not anoint himself. That means he didn't bathe for 21 days. He's been in a place of prayer 21 days, uninterrupted and not distracted. And still nothing moved until the 21st day. Because most of us now, if God didn't answer by day four (laughs) or (laughs) five, we would have said, well, it must not be the will of God. Come on, can I tell the truth? Most of us would have quit on day three. Well, Jesus rose on the third day, and if God ain't gonna answer this prayer on the third day, we try to make it biblical, don't we? Three days and he arose. Glory to God. Three days and I'm gonna arise from this place of fasting and prayer. No, Daniel tarried in prayer 21 days. Verse 12 tells us this exchange, a conversation between Daniel and an angel. Somebody say spiritual spiritual warfare. Very real. Not just Old Testament, Ephesians 6 tells us about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Verse 12 says, then he said to me, speaking of the angel, do not fear, Daniel. Notice what he says next. From the 20th day that you set your heart to understand. From the first day. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. When did God hear, Daniel? The first day. day. And I have come because of your words. God heard his prayer, sent the answer. Notice verse 13. On the first day, notice verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Hold up now. How God going to send an angel and the angel can't automatically show up with the answer? I am not making this up. The angel withstood him 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes. Now, this sounds crazy, though, because we're in modern America. But the angel had to call for backup. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. The kings of Persia speaks of uh, spiritual dominions over this particular region. Verse 14. Demonic. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days. Daniel persisted in prayer 21 days, not to overcome God's reluctance. God answered on the first day. But because he persisted in prayer, he outlasted the enemy's resistance. Okay. Critical. That's why Jesus taught, the first thing he taught his disciples was persistent prayer, okay? So Mark chapter 9, and i close with this. Mark chapter 9. Is this helping anybody this morning? <laughs> okay. Amen. Mark chapter 9. So they bring, they bring, they bring, they bring, um, um, what did I say? Mark chapter 9, uh, where are we? Verse, huh? Verse 20. Is it verse 20? No, 14. Mark 9, verse 14. Mark 9, verse 14, and I promise I will go fast and furious through this segment, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 14, okay? This will help us with our prayer life. Uh, So it says, and when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, Jesus all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Verse 17 is key. It says, Then one of the crowd answered and said to the teacher, I've brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it, seized, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I want you to catch this. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They could not. This man brings his son to the disciples with an expectation that if these men have walked in such proximity to Jesus, then maybe some of what he has has rubbed off on them. And he says, I brought my son To the disciples, I believed that they would help me, but they could not. Let me tell you something about faith that persists and faith that prevails. Y'all ready for this? Uh, Persistence in prayer is about trusting God beyond your last disappointment. Uh, When we were on sabbatical, the Lord spoke this to my heart, crystal clear, crystal clear. He said, Ray, in this season, I will do more with less. But let me tell you about that now. I've got to take what God said and trust that that word is true beyond my last disappointment. When I come back off a sabbatical, then I've lost a keyboard player. When I come back off a sabbatical, and I've lost an incredible bass player. When before I go off on sabbatical, I lose people in leadership. And somehow I've got to trust God beyond my last disappointment. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. When you have a life-altering destiny decision problem, Be careful whose hands you put it into. Because most of us quit on God. Not because what God failed to do, but because of what his disciples were unable to do. This guy could have quit and walked away before Jesus showed up because he brought his problems to the disciples. And what we try to do is we try to measure God's capacity by man's inability. Well, this is what the lawyer said. This is what my teachers said. This is what the doctor said. And we bring our problems to mere men. And when they disappoint us, I don't care who the expert is, their ability is finite. And the God you and I serve is infinite in his ability and his capacity. Persistence. The purpose of persisting is God wants us to continue to trust him beyond our last disappointment. Notice, this man brings his son to the disciples and nothing changes. Again, be careful who you put your biggest problems and your trust and your confidence in. Uh, So so, so check this out, check this out This is so good, this is so good This is so good Look at verse 20 Then they brought him to Jesus There are just some things you just got to take to God, man I'm telling you After you have consulted every expert In the field After you've done your research And you've dotted every I across every T Bring your problems to Jesus after the disciples fail you, bring your problems to Jesus. Persist in prayer. Uh, uh, what you, uh, then they brought him to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and he wallowed fully at the mouth. Isn't it crazy how sometimes your trouble will taunt you? Even after you bring it to Jesus, even after you lay it on the altar, it will taunt you to your face. Brought the problem to Jesus and starts convulsing. How many of you realize that sometimes it gets worse before it gets better? That's part of how the enemy does now. He will continue to wreak havoc. Wreak havoc. The closer you get to Jesus, he's throwing more stuff more like stuff like at you. And he wants you to stop and quit just before you get to Jesus. Because if you quit just before you get to Jesus, he's won. Would have been so easy to be distracted by the convulsions. I don't know what kind of convulsions you're dealing with, but at night sometimes when I sleep, I have convulsions in my head. Enemy will taunt you. Go to a conference. I've been to two conferences this week. You know how pastors are. We go to conferences. You know we strut around with our peacock feathers. Let me tell you, one of the first questions we ask each other as pastors, um, and it's usually the guy with the biggest church, "How many are you running?" Because that's what we do in business. In business meetings, that's what we do. So, what do you do? Because we're trying to. To gauge who's in the room. We're trying to one-up each other. And after you don't have about five conversations with a pastor, and say, how many you running? And they all got bigger numbers than you. The convulsions start in your head. I'm holding on to the promise, I will do more with less. But every time I start to move toward that word, convulsions. Because the convulsions are trying to keep you from getting to Jesus. Uh, so, 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 this is good. Jesus ain't phased by all of that, though. Look at verse 21. And I'm about to close, I promise you, I promise you. So he asked the father, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? Now, of all the things that Jesus could have asked him, Why is Jesus asking him questions about duration? How long you been dealing with this? How long you been struggling with this? I would venture to say that the question has to do with this whole idea of persistence. Because Jesus is trying to locate him. Can you still trust me? After you've dealt with these convulsions for as long as you have. Can you be like the other woman that I healed, the woman with the issue of blood, who had dealt with her convulsions? It was an issue of blood for 12 years, and she still believed. Jesus is locating this man. Say, how long has this been happening? Because will your faith persist beyond your last disappointment? And this is what he said from childhood. Ever since this child was born, I've had this desire, I've had this wish that he would be healed. It hasn't gone away. But even now, I still believe. Now, most of us say, this has been going on for a month. And I'm about to throw in the towel. Oh, I'm done with this job because I don't prayed about it. Two weeks, really? Jesus is asking some of you, how long? How long has this been happening to you? And can you still believe beyond this duration? So he says, look, notice, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. He says, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know what? This statement is, is going back to the very first thing I said. Even in bringing his son to Jesus, this man is thinking that somehow he needs to overcome Jesus' reluctance. He said, if you can do anything, just just have compassion. Because in his mind, maybe Jesus doesn't want to heal my son. And most of us struggle with persistent prayer, not because we have issues with God's ability. Our struggle is God's willingness. I want you to hear that. It's not because we think God can't do it. We know that God can do it, but we grapple in our minds. The limitation says, will he do it? Will he do it? And it goes a step further. Will he do it for me? Persistent prayer is not about overcoming God's us. So Jesus flips the script on him, and Jesus says to this man, if you can believe. All things are possible. All things are possible, including your son being healed right now in this moment, including this thing that has uh, 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 wreaked havoc and tormented you from childhood right now. Do you believe that right now in this moment, if you can believe, all of this can change? Notice the man's response. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I believe it can happen. Oh, Lord. But I don't know how it's going to happen. I want to end there because there's more I could say. All I'm going to say is Jesus lays hands on the board. Uh, The boy is healed, but before the boy boy is healed, he starts to convulse again, and he looks like he's dead. Even after he brought the problem to Jesus. Can I just say that sometimes you will think that what you're dealing with is a lost cause. And after you bring it to God, it will lay there as if it's dead. Even then, even then, he's still God. And so this morning, as the team come, I want to pray. And as I pray, I'm praying for me too. I don't know what kind of convulsions you're dealing with.